asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking food stamps to financial freedom with Yanelli Espinal. That's right. Our guest today has journeyed from food stamps to financial freedom, and we're going to hear all about how she was able to accomplish that. We are joined today by Yanelli, who is also known as Miss Be Helpful. She is the first generation daughter of immigrants. She was born in Brooklyn, and it didn't take her long to uh, rack up $20,000 in credit card debt before she realized that this was not the life that she wanted to lead. Uh, she started her career as a teacher and then parlayed that into serving as the director of educational outreach at Next Gen Personal Finance. And now she's recently published her first book, Mind Your Money. And she's currently actually on a political roller coaster ride across the country where she's convincing lawmakers to make personal finance a high school graduation requirement. We are excited to talk about all of that and more today. Yanelli, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What's up, guys? I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation. I really am. <laughs> oh, we're stoked, too. We're stoked. We, we we saw you speak in person last year at FinCon, which is the nerdy conference that <laughs> money, yes. ridiculous, people who are interested in money to a ridiculous it's where degree where money and media meet. That's right. Joel. That's right. <laughs> and Yanelli rocked it. She was, uh, I think, probably the best speaker of, of the ah, evening, for sure. Thank so, you. Yeah. Yeah, thank so we're you like, so much. When, when you had the book come out, we were like, okay, well, it's time to get Yanelli on the show. For, yes. It's been, too, it's been too, how have we not done this yet? No but, brainer. Right. Oh, I love that. But I the first that. first question we ask everyone who comes on the show, Yanelli, is what do you like to splurge on? Matt and I, we drink uh, a lot of craft beer. Yeah. Some, uh, not a lot, just the right amount <laughs> in of moderation. nice craft beer. In <laughs> moderation. <laughs> yeah. no, not too much. Absolutely. But, but we drink expensive beers. It's something yes, we like yeah. to spend more than the average person on. Uh, it's something that we, we like to prioritize in the here and now, even while we're being trying to be smart, wise with our money, save and invest for the future. But what is that for you? Right. Um, for me, I would say it's definitely getting deep tissue, full body massages. Oh. I, I am like, I don't know. It's so weird because like I'm not like, you know, Naomi Osaka or anything. Like I'm not going and having like a personalized like masseuse in my home all day, every day. But I work a lot. I'm at my computer a lot. I exercise a lot. And I feel like I, because I'm so passionate, so animated and like I use my hands to talk and I'm, I hold tension <laughs> like in my body, in my face, in my neck, my arms. So 
after like a, a, a really intense week, I just feel the pressure, like the tension, like in my body. And there's nothing like a full body deep tissue massage, like really getting the knots out of my back, super relaxing, just letting go of everything. It's almost meditative too, because my mind's like not really thinking about anything and it just enjoying, you know, this moment of relaxation. And so for an hour, every month at least, I try and go, if not more than once a month, depending on how hectic the month is. But I'll sometimes spend, you know, upwards of $250 if it's like at a fancy resort or spa or something. And if I'm traveling to really, you know, get a a nice high quality deep tissue massage. Well, that is, uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm in for that. Um, And uh, so you said like, yeah, once a month or so, uh, which is not cheap. I will say too, that that is the only time I'm able to shut my mind off is like a massage and I don't do it enough. And so like- See, when I do it, I shut my mind, I I fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. See, I I don't don't know a lot of people that do. A lot of people do fall asleep. For me, I just, I don't know, man, I enjoy it. I'm I'm, I'm rested, but, but I'm definitely awake. Although, yeah. So, yeah, you get them more often. Like, for me, it's like once every like two or three years tops. Oh but, my gosh, no, that would be yeah. torture. Need, <laughs> That's something I'm trying more. to prioritize too. I'm trying to do it more. Joel, yeah, Joel's into uh, into the massage. Just getting back more into than, it. Yeah. More than yes. I, but, uh, well, okay, thank you for sharing that, Yanelli. Uh, and by the way, yeah, 250. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot. Uh, so that's a lot of money. Um, that's a lot, like, and that's really only when I'm like at a fancy resort okay, or like, gotcha. you know, if I'm if I'm out traveling or something, I'm, I'm at a hotel that pretty much has like the only place you get a massage is going to be that price. But mm-hmm. for the most part, when I go to like my local massage place, it'll be like 120 bucks yeah. okay did they yeah. did they give you the card where you get like 10 of them and they yes. like punch it and that kind of thing I, I'm honestly the number of free massages I've got and I kind of feel bad I'm there like punch go. my card again yeah. I'm that's back. what I'm talking about oh, I love it you're a yes. you're frequent flyer you're like us you want to be frugal totally. while you're spending your money exactly, <laughs> exactly. that's right yeah just because it's a splurge doesn't mean you shouldn't be kind of smart about it yeah. you know it's exactly. like hey let's still find a way to save some money here but you know sure. let's let's kind of talk about your your money history and I just kind of like your personal history a little bit yeah. uh, you start your book talking about an interaction maybe an altercation (laughs) that you had uh, with your sister. Uh, You were along with her. But what happened and uh, what did you learn about money from sort of getting this, this head smack? Yeah, so I definitely got smacked by my sister. Um, I in describing the book as like she knocked on the top of my head like she would knock on a door, and it, it, my sister often did that. So I kind of grew up in an environment where it's you know tough love, like not that it was like extremely abusive or physically violent, but oftentimes you get smacked around or like you know knuckles on the head. And so in this case, um, I was in the backyard, I was just sweeping, doing my chores, and my sister yelled out to me in the backyard asking me where my mom had went. And I, you know, oftentimes mom would go in and out of the house. My mom was always, you know, at appointments at church or, you know, parent-teacher conferences or whatever kind of related to kids or her own hobbies. But I honestly couldn't remember like where mom went. And um, so I was thinking like, did she go to the doctor? Did she go to the post office? Like, I don't remember. And then and then it hit me that she told me she was going to an appointment at the welfare office, which she called Fetcho Fay. And I, in my book, I specifically mentioned that term because I didn't know what it was. But later on, as an adult, I saw on paper that she had a face-to-face appointment in order to renew her food stamps. And I it just I put two and two together. And I was like, oh, she had been trying to pronounce face-to-face. But she's she's saying it with her thick Dominican accent, <laughs> fit your fay. But um, I, I put two and two together that she was going to an appointment at the welfare office. So I yelled that out at the top of my lungs in the backyard. And my sister was so upset at me that I mm. would yell and tell everyone on our block the you know our our personal business and to you know put mom's business on blast like that and so she was really mad at me and I while I didn't understand exactly why you know she was so upset I knew that it had something to do with money and the message the clear message that I got from my sister you know during that incident was that like we don't talk about money we don't tell people what we have what we don't have we don't tell our personal business like that and talking about money is more taboo and it's a private thing so you know from a very young age I think I was probably eight or nine years old when that happened um, and I remember kind of being shushed and silenced around money. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like that is maybe not exactly the way it played out for you, but that's a, that's kind of a lesson that a lot of us learn in childhood, right? Is yeah. that money is the taboo. It's not to be talked about. It's like, <laughs> I was telling Matt the other day, my oldest daughter, she said, Dad, how much money do we have? Like like for real, overall. And uh, <laughs> you, you want to you entertain those questions and have yeah. a discussion about you don't want, but a lot of parents want to shut that down, yes. right? And so, what, yeah, what's your take on, I guess, having money conversations, especially with kids? I don't think you have any of your own yet, but... But, but why is it so important to, to open up the conversation around money in, inside of a home? 
Yeah. So actually, in that same section of the book, I talk about the reason why it's so important to talk about this at an early age. There was actually a study conducted with college students, and it showed that parents who avoided talking about money predicted the worst type of problematic credit card usage among those college students. Hmm. So they really they looked at the experiment and they they kind of broke down the students into groups of the parents who talked about money in a positive way, the parents who talked about money in a negative way, and the parents who avoided money talk, like just never talked about money at all. And you would think that the parents who talked about money negatively would be the ones to pass down problematic you know, money behaviors to their children. But that was not the case. They were not nearly as bad as the problematic behaviors demonstrated by the students whose parents never talked about money at yeah. all. So for me, like, and you're right, I don't have children of my own, but I'm the world's best auntie. I have 10 nieces and nephews. <laughs> and, you know, I've helped them open Roth IRAs, custodial Roth yes. IRAs. I fund their 529 plans for their birthdays every year. I mean, I'm very involved in sharing with them openly and talking with them about what, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And I think that as early as kids start to ask you for money or talk about money to you, that's the perfect opportunity. Mm. Mm -hmm. at that age to start talking to them about the value of money, how hard it is to earn money and, and what different things you can do with money because most you know kids think, oh, you have money, you can spend it. They don't realize you know you can spend, you can save, you can gift, you can invest. There's lots of different things that you can do with money and those lessons can be imparted on kids as young as three, four, five years old. Absolutely, yeah. And, and if you don't talk about it, you, you carry that stigma with you uh, mm -hmm. into your own adulthood. But That's aside right. from children, I mean, I think there's a lot of folks out there and they are not talking about money. How would you recommend for folks just to make this a part of not only their life and something that they're that they're interested in but to kind of get the ball rolling and talking about it with their friends. Yeah, I think with friends and family, depending on the relationship that you have, the specific relationship that you have, every relationship is different, whether that's a friendship or, you know, a courtship, a, a romantic relationship or, you know, a mother-daughter relationship. Every relationship is very is distinct and, and individual. So I would say think about the relationship that you're in, that you're involved in, and, and kind of match that vibe and that aura because it's really weird yeah. if you have a relationship that, you know, hasn't ever really trespassed those, you know, thresholds of talking about things that are a little you know personal or considered to be a little taboo then all of a sudden you just jump in one day at lunch like all right so let's let's talk about money you know how much do you have in your 401k what are your goals for retirement right that it just seems so bizarre and out of place it's not going to be well received so i always tell people lead with a story and lead from the heart so a heartfelt story i think is the key to transitioning into any conversation point around money that again it, regardless of the nature of your relationship a story can help with that so in my case talking about my talking to my parents about retirement was was tricky because they both you know, we're not prepared for retirement. They still aren't, even though they're in retirement and their hmm. children, luckily they have nine children. So our big family has been able to pool together money to help them out. But having this conversation initially with them a few years before my dad retired was really tough because they're going to be defensive. They're going to feel hurt that we're talking about something that they clearly are underprepared for. And, yeah. you know, we don't want them to feel like we're blaming them or we're judging them or that, you know, this is their fault or that we're ashamed or disappointed. So what we did was I personally just just told my siblings, let's just tell them a story about a friend who has gone through a similar experience where their parents and, and fortunately for me I had a friend who was literally dealing with a similar situation where so you didn't have to lie and tell a story I didn't have to like make up a false story but let me tell you this parable mom and dad <laughs> it wasn't a folktale I promise good, it was good. a real friend and that's why listening to podcasts like this like this is so helpful because you're constantly listening to people's stories and listening to experiences from people that they're sharing on podcasts like this so you feel free to use me but I tell people all the time just say a story listen and I was listening to a podcast. And I heard this girl, Yanali, she was talking about her family and how th her parents were not prepared for retirement, but they never really talked about it. And mm -hmm. so when it was time for her parents to retire, the parents were assuming that the children were going to be funding their retirement every month and paying for everything. But the children didn't realize that was the expectation. So they weren't prepared financially to do that. And so there was this big clash and people weren't really on the same page in their family. And as you could imagine, that would lead to fighting and that could lead to a lot of you know miscommunication and, and all kinds of things. So instead it would have been smarter for them to talk about it way beforehand. So I'm thinking about how that might apply to our relationship, our family, our friendship, and how great it would be for us to start talking about these things now, maybe look up a couple of questions that we could start with, and that way we prevent ourselves from repeating the types of mistakes that you know people like Inelli have made because they just didn't talk about it before yeah. with, with enough time. That's so much less it. threatening, right? That's such a for great sure. way to begin it as opposed to like, 
where you at? Like what, right. what what's right. going on with your money? And exactly. and it really it really opens up I think the the so it gives somebody the ability, the room to have a conversation as opposed to feeling like they have to defend their position or, or sure. give a full throated answer to exactly where they stand with their personal finances. Because yeah. their nine kids are staging an intervention. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. definitely did do that. We definitely stayed. <laughs> but the thing is too is that like everybody's gonna agree. Everyone's going to agree that yes, in that story. I should have started sooner. The family should have talked about this sooner. The expectations should have been made clear sooner. So it's it's really difficult for somebody to hear that and say, no, 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 I don't want to talk to you about my money. Like right. it's very, it's so visceral, it's so real that it's true. Most people don't. And when you come up with a story, when you start off the bat with a story like that, you automatically all start off on the same page of, yeah, we definitely want to prevent. You know, we don't want to repeat that. We don't want to do that. So let's be smarter. Let's start talking more. You know, ahead of time. And and that's just an easy way to all get on the same page. Okay. So speaking of stories, let's go back to your story a little bit. You are no dummy. You went to again one of the finest institutions uh, in higher education. You went to Brown University. I did. Yeah. So you're, you're a smarty pants. And for folks out there who might wonder how someone so smart could get into financial trouble, tell us yeah. about that. There's a, Sometimes people think IQ <laughs> equals uh, good That's money right. habits, but no, That's there's a right. massive disconnect there, right? Yeah, there definitely is a disconnect because, I mean, I remember just really loving learning. I got so lucky in elementary school and I had a core group of teachers who just made me love reading. They made me love learning through reading. And once I got past that point of, you know, feeling like reading was a chore and not wanting to read, like I couldn't stop. I would be hiding under the covers with a flashlight reading my little <laughs> Babysitter's Club books and my mom would catch me and be like, you have to go to sleep. Give me the book. Like, So for me, loving learning started really, really early. But one of the things I noticed is that that was, I was only able to demonstrate that passion for learning in the academic courses that I had. I mean, going to school formally, you, you're, you know, you have these specific classes on your roster and your schedule every year. And that's, you know, that was my time to shine. That was my opportunity to, you know, show my, my passion for learning and to perform, right, and excel academically. So because I took classes, in, you know, science and social studies, English language arts, I took French, I took Spanish, I took art history, I took so many classes, but I never ever once got a class about money management. Mm -hmm. I never once got a class about personal finance. And so I felt when I got to college, I, I felt this pressure to fit in with all of these wealthier students that were around me that, you know, I really clearly was in a totally different lane from them. You know, my parents did not have the money to support me, to give me an allowance every week or to, you know, support me in any kind of way financially. So I was working multiple jobs and, you know, to pay for my textbooks and my school supplies and buy my own laptop. And I just couldn't come up with the money quickly enough, no matter how many hours I worked, like working a minimum wage job at a pizzeria on campus. It wasn't, you know, it was impossible for me to come up with $1,800 within a week or two of the start mm -hmm. of the semester. So I just went down campus one day on my way to work and, you know, saw somebody with a clipboard offering me to, you know, get a free T-shirt if I signed up for the credit card. And of course, it was a student credit card. So it was specific for students to help you pay for your textbooks and your laptop. And it was the perfect pitch because I literally was going through trouble trying to figure out how I was going to come up with money to pay for all these things. So to me, it just was like, Oh, like the clouds were parting Problem and solved. here was this woman with this clipboard. It was a magical clipboard and all I had to do was fill out this paper and then boom, I was going to be able to solve my problems. And so I filled out the application. I got my free t-shirt. I went on my way and two weeks later, I had a shiny plastic credit card in my campus mailbox with my name on it. And I immediately maxed it out. I bought my laptop. I bought some <laughs> textbooks. <laughs> and, um, and I felt so good. Like, I felt so proud of myself doing that because I didn't have to bother anyone. I didn't have to call my sisters and brothers and ask mm. them for money. I didn't have to bother mom and dad knowing that they didn't have it and that I was only going to be adding to their burden because even if they said I don't have the money right now I knew that my dad wouldn't stop thinking about it and he would probably have to work extra and work harder and try to come up with money to give me because he wouldn't stop thinking about the fact that I needed money so I didn't want to add any stress to my parents already existing burden so I you know I, I got the credit card I started using it first for things that I needed and pretty quickly I realized just how easy it is for you to swipe that credit card and just buy whatever you want mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that's what I started doing I just went to the mall and Providence Place Mall got all my money Forever 21 H&M you know I, I would <laughs> go and shopping and buy clothes and shoes and also it's it's I would say to the impact of growing up in poverty like every time I asked my mom for things or my dad for things they would always tell me no no hay dinero you know there's no money for that we don't have the money for you to get Jordans we don't have the money for Nikes 
or for you know a name brand book bag or a name brand coat. So I was constantly being told no that I couldn't get these things. So in college, having a credit card and feeling more pressure than ever to look a certain way and you know and wear certain brands. There was nobody there to tell me no. So I racked up $20,000 of credit card debt by the time I graduated. Um, About a year after my uh, college graduation is when I finally sat down and added up all of my credit card debt that I had and one small student loan for a study abroad program. And it was just under $21,000. And that's when I kind of realized that I had it gotten out of control. I took it mm. too far, and I had a real problem that I needed to figure out some way, somehow, uh, to to solve it. I've heard you speak about this before too, and just how when you received that credit card, it felt like you were an official adult, right? Yes. And, and it's just interesting to kind of contrast that to the lack of formality that comes with actual financial education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, in, in what, and granted, this is back before uh, laws were changed and credit card companies were allow- actually allowed to be on campus. That's right. But it's interesting how there truly is, and this is maybe an argument for some of this official sanctioned financial education that you're pushing for in schools that we'll yeah. talk about a yeah. little bit later on. But it's interesting how, on one hand, you had this this formality, this card, uh, sometimes they make them out of metal now to make it feel like you're even more important. <laughs> this passport into adulthood. That's so yeah. True. Um, in contrast to the fact that there was no, there was nothing on the syllabus. There was no sort of class that <laughs> yes. was outlined when you're it came thrown to, to the wolves to financial yeah. education. But so, yeah, so you, you had $20,000, a little over that actually. Um, but what was it? Because I think there's a lot of folks out there who can continue down that path and they're not going to really change their behavior until they somehow see the light, until they are able to decide that, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing (laughs) with my life? Uh, What caused that change in your life? What was the epiphany? Yeah. What was that point in time that, that caused you to want to completely upend how things were going? Yeah. So, I mean, it was... The there was a book that I read, which was Susie Orman's Women and Money. And before reading that book, I was sitting at my desk, running up the numbers, like putting everything into a spreadsheet, adding everything up because I had gotten to the point where I just I felt like an adult. I felt like I was winning at this hashtag adulting thing. You know, I was doing everything to help my parents every now and then I would send them money to help them pay a bill. Um, You know, I had my own apartment or I lived with a roommate. So I shared an apartment with a roommate. I had my full time job as a teacher, which my parents were so proud of me for becoming a professional uh, in their minds there was really no difference between a doctor a lawyer and a teacher it, it, growing up in their country in their native country in Dominican Republic when a person becomes especially a woman becomes a professional working professional that is the you know utmost level of respect for you in terms of a career path just becoming a professional and so growing up I would always hear them say conviértete en profesional you know become a professional make us proud so a teacher to them was just as much as me saying I'm a doctor I'm a lawyer it didn't make a difference hmm. and I wish I had understood the difference between the salary of a teacher and a lawyer <laughs> and a doctor because I may have you know thought a little bit more about what I you know what my kind of career field was right after college but you know the moment came to me looking at my my bills and I just started crying because I was like, okay, after I give mommy some money that she told me she needs, plus I paid my rent, I paid off this minimums on my credit cards for this month, I paid my bills in my apartment, I bought a train pass, I bought some groceries, I paid my cell phone bill. Like I literally have no money left. And and it mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense, right? Like they say on TikTok, the math ain't mathing. And I got <laughs> I got so frustrated that I was like, how is it possible that I went and got my my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, my, went to one of the most prestigious schools. I got all these opportunities that my parents never got. And I'm still in this paycheck to paycheck cycle just like my parents. It it, it like it just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So I was just crying. And so I started pulling up everything and just trying to do the basic math. Like I'm running, putting everything into a spreadsheet. You know, how much do I actually do I owe? Why is it that I can't? afford to pay for things and that's when I saw my PDF credit card statement which I had been opening that PDF every month and literally never scrolling past the first page I would just look at the the balance the minimum due and the due date that's it I didn't Mm. even look at anything past that so I decided okay let me scroll past the first page (laughs) and you know that was actually pretty enlightening i saw a whole <laughs> bunch of interest fees what's this interest line yeah. yeah i was like what is this the total amount charged in interest for the year was in a little box all the way at the bottom on the last page of my statement 
And that was a shock to me. It was thousands of dollars. I was like, wait, what the heck is going on? How is it possible that when I added up all the interest on my four different credit cards, it was thousands of dollars that I had given. I'm thinking that could have been in my savings account. I could have been giving that to mommy and papi. I could have been using that to do all whole kinds of stuff. It could have been here in my bank account right now to help me pay for stuff. So I just realized that interest fees were accruing very quickly and I knew I didn't understand this you know, thing called interest. So I... I um. Actually, in that moment, can't, I'm not even going to lie, I didn't know what to do. I was just so overwhelmed and frustrated. So I, I went to bed, and like maybe a, two days later after that experience, I was in a pharmacy. I was buying stuff at the Dwayne Reed, and you know stuff that I would always buy after work, like wasting my money. I was buying candles and lotion, trinkets, whatever little stuff I would, I would pick up on my way home from work. And on the magazine rack, there was a book called Women and Money. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm a woman and I literally was yesterday, yesterday just crying about money. Maybe this is a, one of those moments where the clouds are parting. God, and, oh. yeah. <laughs> so I just picked up the book and I started reading the first few pages while I was in line. And by the time I got to the front to pay, I just put the candles and lotions aside. I was like, I don't want that oh, stuff. Nice. I want this book. And it was Amazing. $9. And I tell people every chance I get, I'm like, that was the best $9 <laughs> that I ever spent because that book opened my eyes to yes. basics around money and just to change your relationship with money and the way you think about money, the way you treat money, physically lining up your bills and, and straightening them out in your wallet, making, you know, taking pride in the money that you've earned, things that I never got you know thought it was never exposed to and so i followed the debt repayment plan in that book and was able to pay off the debt in 18 months oh man i love it i love it that's so cool okay we so yeah we talked a little bit about the math we also there, there's there's more to the, to just getting your money right than just math though there's a lot of like mindset work that needs to take oh, place yes. and and that doesn't necessarily take place overnight we, ha- we have some questions about that and more that we'll get to with you nelly right after this Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. 
Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we are back from the break talking with Yanelli Espinal. And, you know, let's talk about swimming against the current. Uh, yes. Because one line that stuck out to me in your book was when you said that you thought you wanted some Jordans, you thought you wanted Uggs, so that people would think that you had money. Right. You wanted people to perceive you a certain way. Uh, this is less about putting together a debt plan, right? Like this is less about the math. And I would say this is tougher to change. Can you speak to that for a second? For sure. You know, actually, so the book came out at the end of May of 2023. And around that time, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts. I tuned into your podcast that week, actually. And the episode that you all dropped, it was creepy to me how similar (laughs) that episode was to my second chapter of my book, where I talk about swimming against the current. I mean, I think it was called Overcoming Your Idiot Brain. Oh, yeah. So whoever's listening, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back to May of 2023 and pull that up because it was so great. Like the examples, even the language that you guys use was so similar, like fighting back like I talk about that in my book I talk about how every day you get up and you're like a soldier and you have to get ready for battle because at the moment you wake up and take your first breath like you're gonna start to see ads on social ads on Spotify you know ad on the bus when you walk out of your house you turn on the radio oh another ad everybody wants your money and it's like this Mm -hmm. constant game of whack-a-mole with a bunch of money hungry moles (laughs) and so I put that in my book because I truly feel like that is why your brain is your first priority when it comes to money before saving and budgeting and understanding your, your income and your cash flow before any of that stuff the brain is number one. And so I talk about swimming against the current in the book because I feel like for a lot of people, once you learn the math stuff, the math is the easy part because there's calculators online that automate that math stuff for you. You don't have to be able to understand the compounding formula. You just pull up a compound interest calculator and it does the math for you. Mm -hmm. So the math is really the easy part, but the hard part is the social stuff. Feeling like you're not cool enough if you don't have, you know, the latest gadgets, if you don't have, you know, the the nicest apartment, if you don't have the latest sneakers or the latest purse or whatever it is that Everybody around you is posting and talking about if you don't have it, you feel you fall prey to this invisible force around you that's making you feel like you're never cool enough. You're not ever going to be good enough. And in order for you to succeed financially and kind of fight back against a lot of that stuff, you really have to, you know, do your own thing. You have to swim against the current and you have to kind of decide that. It's even though it feels unnatural for so many of us to try to go against a lot of that, you know, whatever's common and popular, it, you, that's the only way that you're actually going to be able to make decisions about what you really want your money to do for you and not what you've been brainwashed to think that you should do with your money. So, you know, for me, Dang. I think that's, that's a, a huge part. And, and, you know, for me, that's why I dedicated the whole second chapter of the book. It's called Get Your Mind Right, because I really think before you even get into the money stuff, you really got to start understanding these biases that you fall prey to when you're making choices with your money and what you can do to fight back against those biases. And you say that community is a big part of that, too, right? So oh, like yes. who you surround yourself with, because like you say, it feels like there are these like flaming arrows aimed at us all the time trying to get us to, to, to part from our money. And if we don't put on that kind of armor to protect ourselves, we're going to fork it over. Yep. So how does community uh, and who you like, your friends, your family, who you hang out with, how does that impact your ability to be kind of resilient to those to those calls, to those advertisers who are trying to part you from that yeah. hard-earned money? No, I love this question because for me, I'm going to tell you the truth. My family was not really on board with, you know, they saw what I was doing and they said it was a little too drastic because <laughs> um, it's true. I was I was I was super frugal. Like once I realized what was happening with my money, I was not playing games. I was like, I'm so serious. It's just like committing to getting an A plus yeah. in my physics class. Like I was like, I'm not. Yeah, I was on a mission. Exactly. So, you know, if we would go out, I would only order something like a very small thing in my budget and everybody would be trying to split the bill. And I'd be like, no. Nope, no splitting bills over here. I'm getting my own separate check. I only spent. I'm drinking water. I didn't have the margarita you guys had. Right. I'm like, if I'm, unless I'm mistaken, this water with a lemon slice was free. So I'm not. <laughs> so I just was very, very frugal. And I think they started to see that. And they were maybe like a little judgmental at first. But I knew right away that my family, because after I told them about like the books that I had been reading and the blogs that I was reading and the podcast I was listening to and these ideas that I had been exposed to, they they all just thought like it's a little 
little too drastic and it's a bit too much. And it got to the point where honestly, some of my siblings were just telling me to shut up. They mm. were like, we don't care about the new maximum on your Roth IRA increasing by $500 <laughs> this year. We, we don't we don't care about that stuff. That's your thing. And so then I was like, okay, fine. So I decided I'm going to go online because obviously I'm not going to change my family. I'm not going to cancel my family. Like I love these people. I, I just have to accept that they are Get on board not, or get out of my life. You know, you ain't going to do that. <laughs> I would not. I was like, come on, I love these people. But if I can't convince them that this is the most important thing for us, then I'm just going to have to show them and not tell them. So what I did was I kind of just did my own thing. Instead of subtracting people out of my life, I didn't do that. I just added, added a bunch of people into my mindset, into my life, to my news feed. On social media, I started following a bunch of people and starting to follow hashtags and just start to look at all the content and listen to more podcasts and just really immerse myself into this space of personal finance, financial independence, and debt repayment and you know all these um, debt-free community all this all this stuff online which you know for me helped me to feel like I had another family I had this other community outside of like the people that I see every day and hug and kiss when I'm you know together with them it doesn't have to be the physical people in your life it might not be and that's okay for me it wasn't but I still was able to go online and feel like I knew these people that you know were kind of like you know influences on me that in terms of my mindset and, and helping me with resources and things but I never met really any of them until honestly recently which is wild for me to say that I've now worked with so many of those creators who who were early influences on me um, you know I met Mr. Money Mustache I met Peter at um at FinCon you know I've met so many incredible speakers I met Tiffany the Budgetista at a, a conference for women um, and I've just so many of these amazing early influences in my life I've been able to meet and tell them thank you so much like you mm-hmm. are the reason why I completely changed the trajectory of my life and my future generations lives because I started to you know get serious about my money so you know just really quickly if, if that's not people that you love right now that you see every day that you hang out with your friends your, your family your, your spouse your partner that is okay show them don't feel like you have to tell them because they might not yeah. be ready to hear it but when they see it they can't deny it that's that's some good advice right quick there. plug for the how to money facebook group because that's <laughs> truly ten thousand yeah. plus people who are helping each other out and, and really want to get better with their money and it's this hive mind but it's also this group where there's so much support that yes, goes alongside I of that. it and that, i gotta join i love that yeah, I mean, that's what we need, right? We need the information combined with the the attaboys, girls. Like, you can do yes, it. You yes. got this. And I think that uh, that two-pronged approach is just it's crucial and it really helps a lot of people succeed. You, you need that yeah. motivation. If there's nobody physically in your life, you need that. Sure. That's the beauty of an online community. Yeah. Definitely. It's, it's one of the few upsides to social media <laughs> right, as exactly. we are learning more and more right. about the downsides. <laughs> yeah. yes. uh, you kind of were talking about how you you went pretty hard in the frugal <laughs> direction. Yeah. Like, what are some of the more extreme things that you may have done to, <laughs> to save money to get ahead? Because I, th- I think at some point in the book, you mentioned something about eyebrow threading. Yes, can you? I, was about to, I was just thinking about that. I yeah, like, can, you, can you talk some about that? Or Tell me what so, that is. Too. Maybe okay. some of the other measures you, you <laughs> two, took. Two things that I did that were extreme. First was like beauty, maintenance, routine and stuff with like, you know, being a girl, there's a lot of stuff and I know that there are guys out there who also put a lot of time and effort and money into grooming but it's just different with girls because of the pink tax. We are targeted products and things that are so much more expensive to stay beautiful and to look, you know, whatever and for me, a lot of that was, you know, maintaining my appearance so getting haircut getting my nails done and doing my eyebrows which for many years I was I would go like every two weeks and spend eight to twelve dollars to get my eyebrows waxed you know and it hurts I'm like alive you get used to it after a while but it's just part of it's the name of the game you want to be pretty on your first date you want to look nice you got you got to put the money down to yeah. you know keep up with your beauty routine and so um when I got really serious about my budget I was like okay this is what I have this is what I'm going to spend money on this is what I don't have this is what I can't put money towards and so I remember one time I was with my family and my sisters because I'm one of five sisters there's nine of us total but four are brothers and the other four are sisters so one of five sisters and my sisters were they were just dogging me like making fun of me you know roasting me which is their way of showing tough love I'll, uh-huh. I'll say yeah. that but still it still hurts sometimes <laughs> they were just like dogging me like oh you look like Frida Kahlo because my eyebrows <laughs> my eyebrows were uh, that's harsh that's harsh come on come on don't look that bad nobody come on they had not been done for a couple months I'm not gonna lie <laughs> so I was like well you know I was trying to tweeze them on my own but I don't really know how to do it I don't want to mess them up and whatever and they're like just go spend the money and I'm like well I, I 
I can't because I promised myself I was not going to use my credit cards again until I paid them off and I don't have the $12 in my budget because every every dollar had a job and it was not my eyebrows this month. So, you know, I just kind of went home that night and I'm thinking about them making fun of me and I'm like, all right, let me let me see if I can just figure out a way to do my own eyebrows. It can't be that hard. So I went on YouTube and I started looking up how to do your own eyebrows and a video came up about threading your eyebrows, which I had done one time or I had had it done one time for my Sweet 16 party. My sister took me to a place in Manhattan where they threaded my eyebrows. It was like a very traditional Indian eyebrow threading place. So I always thought like that's something that if you don't if that's not in your culture, you don't know how to do it you're going to like rip your eyebrows off your face so don't even try to do that you know <laughs> but there was this tutorial on YouTube and it was it made it seem pretty simple um, you didn't have to like use your mouth with a thread which is what often the traditional way to do it looks like so y- you could just like make one thread loop and um, cross it over like in the form of an X and I, so I started practicing it until I was like oh, okay I think I could I think I learned how to like control which hairs I will pluck with the thread and so then I did my own eyebrows and funnily enough, now I do my sister's eyebrows, even though they were making fun of me. <laughs> I do my mom's <laughs> eyebrows. I do my sister-in-law. A lot of my girlfriends be like, can you do my eyebrows between visits? Like, I just need a touch up. And my nieces will have me do their eyebrows. So it's funny because I was just, I was really committed to my frugal, like my tight budget. So much so that I wasn't willing to put a $12 eyebrow charge on my credit card because I promised myself I wasn't going to use it. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I love that. That's You mentioned like that's a resolve, right? Yes. To say no, to say no to things and to find a solution outside of it to get a little creative i think uh, matt that reminds me of when you did your wife's hair at some point what was it called the uh oh uh balayage balayage the uh, the layering matt trained himself he learned he watched a bunch of youtube videos like an ellie i watched a few youtube videos because it's like a really expensive way to get your hair done hundreds of dollars well speaking of dude maybe i should start my own salon because i've cut your you know i cut maybe you and yanelli should partner together start your own thing right this is a business plan in the making right here exactly oh y'all I'll, I'll just come in and get some work done, but uh, I won't be a part of it. You but. can hang out. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I love that. I think that, that that says so much, and it's it's so important to to be willing to say no to things, even if it's yeah. in an ideal world. Hey, at some point I'll get I'll get there and I'll be able to go splurge on that, That's but right. not until I've actually got the cash yeah. in hand to be able to do it. That's right. And, uh, I've got another question for you, Nelly. Like we, we've Matt and I, we've talked on the show before. There's a lot of actually data about how second generation immigrants tend to succeed more than uh, more than first generation immigrants and more than people, more than Americans who are fourth, fifth generation. Mm-hmm. They tend to realize the American dream more than any other cohort. Yep. Do you have any insight as a second generation uh, immigrant as to what the secret sauce is there? Like what? What is the, yeah, what's involved and why is it that second generation immigrants really live the American dream more than the rest of us? Yeah, I mean, I would say this. I would say that this is anecdotal, obviously, because I don't have any studies to source. But I will say um, there is this emotional connection, this psychological, deeply seated uh, mentality of a combination of the gratitude that you have for the efforts that your parents have put into immigrate to a whole new country. They left their entire life behind. Everyone they knew and loved, they left it in their native country to come here with the sole purpose of giving you, their child, a better opportunity than the one that they had. And they worked unforgiving immigrant jobs and worked unforgiving hours. And when I say the word sacrifice is so underrated in immigrant Mm -hmm. community, I mean, truly, it is the ultimate sacrifice to leave your comfort, your loved ones, everything you know, your way of life for your children to have better opportunities. It makes me want to cry right now as I talk about it, because Mm -hmm. I know that my mom and dad made that ultimate sacrifice for me for me and my siblings and so when i think about that there's something psychological happening there that is it's so powerful that you feel you have to you do not have a choice but to make their sacrifice worthwhile Mm -hmm. and that means that you have to succeed you have to find a way to succeed whether it's through the very traditional pathway of going to college and getting you know your job and having a, a successful career path a more traditional way or whether it's an alternative to the four-year college pathway and, you know, join the military or becoming an entrepreneur or, you know, uh, whatever that pathway looks like. It doesn't have to be that cookie cutter, perfect four-year college degree type of pathway. But whatever it is 
that you do, you're doing it with a certain level of grit and resilience that is near to impossible to plant into someone mm. if they don't mm. naturally have it. And I think a lot of children of immigrants naturally have it because they've witnessed that ultimate sacrifice that their parents have made and they're just trying their hardest to you know, give their parents uh, th- that the ability to say, to feel that sense of gratitude and pride for their children. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Uh, and that being said, so you are a second gen immigrant and you have that resolve. A lot of folks, they don't have that either gumption or that grit yeah. to figure things out on their own. Right. We did a whole episode about grit, by the way. Yeah. And how that was like yes. the number one ingredient in getting better with money and how you kind of have to like figure out how to get it. Yeah, right? they could have like co-hosted that episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but so a, a big part of getting ahead with your finances is knowing the right stuff. Yeah. And fact is, there are a lot of folks uh, who don't have that drive to figure it out. And sometimes it does need to be presented in a more formal manner. And we're actually going to talk more about financial literacy uh, and some of the things that Yanelli is doing to make this more accessible across our country. We'll yes. get to that right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we're back. We're still talking uh, how, how to get to financial freedom with Yanelli Espinal. Her story, just incredible. And so we're so glad to have her here. And Yanelli, it's it's not just about like how far she's come. It's about what she's doing to help others mm-hmm. succeed as well. And uh, Yanelli, I love your mission. I love what you do, what, what you're doing with so many hours of your work weeks to to make sure that other kids... like. We're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of kids around yes. the country to succeed in the future. Not just not just your ten, you know, nieces and nephews. Like we're talking, y- your impact is is being heard around the around the nation. Right. And so let's talk about your work with Next Gen Personal Finance and trying to bring financial literacy to the masses, mainly mm-hmm. mainly high schoolers. Like why why is that such a passion of yours? Yeah, I mean, it's such a passion of mine because, as I mentioned a little earlier, I I know that if I had had a formal academic course on money management, I would have, you know, 
I would have had a completely different mindset. Um, and I think it would have really prevented me from making so many of the mindless, reckless mistakes that I made with money in college. And I feel like everyone deserves a fair shot in order to, you know, really be able to thrive financially or even to just get the basics, right? Um, when I was in my master's program for education, I remember learning about the original intent behind creating a public school system in America. And it was called the Great Equalizer. It was to give everyone, no matter what your zip code, your family background, your ethnic origin, no matter where you come from, that when you step into this public school building, you all have an equal opportunity for success. You get the equal, you get an equal education. You you understand everything equally, so that when you exit, you know everyone then kind of ha- you're on equal footing, right? To then move forward. Now, obviously, that's like this idealistic of a utopia world where yes, we're all equal when we leave school. What happens at home is of greater impact on your life than what's happening at school. But at the very least, if you're intending to prepare students so that they can get a job one day and have some type of income so they can you know, have security for their family, then there should be a class teaching you what the best practices are around what to do when that money comes, when that mm-hmm. first paycheck hits. So it's so odd to me after being a student for decades in our public school system, going off to a very prestigious college, getting a master's degree, coming back to New York City, becoming a teacher in that very public school system that I attended as a child, as a student, now being on the other side in front of the classroom, seeing that the curriculum still didn't include any financial literacy, it just felt like, okay, I could continue to impact my 30 to 40 kids every year. I could even create content on YouTube and affect, you know, a couple million people who subscribe to my channel if I grow really big. But my impact will still be limited versus if I am able to change the laws and make sure that every single teenager before they turn 18 and graduate high school is required to take a full semester 18 week course diving into money management and personal finance, then no matter what future generation, your children, your children's children, children's children's children are gonna be able to get this because of my efforts. And that's the kind of impact I was looking to get done in my work, not just this surface level impact through being a social media creator or being a teacher. Like I've always been the type of person who prioritizes being of service to others. And I, I get that from my mom. She's just so, so giving and always trying to be of service. But I wanted the service to really be the, the, the highest impact type of service possible. So what's interesting is like there are even some like pretty great folks in the personal finance space who actually question the necessity of yes. some of these different classes. And, and so and I, I kind of get it because you even just said yourself, what happens at home uh, mm-hmm. It is even more formational uh, in the minds and in the lives of, of of children. But like, what would you say to someone out there who is questioning the effectiveness of a single personal finance class yeah. in high school? We've seen more and more of it, and it's oh, really disappointing yes. to see people in the personal finance space who know the value of the Agreed. education say, yeah. "Oh, well, we don't need it in high school. We don't." Yeah. When it's a subject that touches every single one of our lives, every day of our lives, uh, for in perpetuity. Yeah. Oh, Essentially, yeah. I guess what I'm asking, what's, what's your argument against, well, they should just learn it on their own, right. whether it's buy it from their parents or uh, yeah. maybe they should just learn it from a book or from a podcast. Right. Okay. Well, actually, recently... <laughs> I was on TikTok and I saw a Ramit Sethi video. Ramit Sethi, if you don't already know him, I'm sure you know him. His book's awesome. I Will Teach You To Be Rich. His show on Netflix, How To Get Rich. Amazing. Now, I reached out to him and I said, hey, I, and I, this is like an Instagram DM. I said, hey, I've committed to changing your mind about financial education. And I'm so serious. I am going to show you the latest research and the movement for 21st century relevant financial education. I love your work and I've always plugged you. You can see that from how many times I've tagged you. But man, <laughs> this is the number one hot take where you are wrong and I want to help you get on the right side of the fight. He responded to me and said, I'm open to reading the research. <laughs> and so I sent him the research. He said, thank you, reading these. So he, you know, it's funny because Ramit posted this video where he talked about, you know, why he doesn't support financial education. And it kind of went viral very quickly, obviously, because he's so well known. Uh, but he said, you know, who's going to teach it? Uh, if the banks are going to create the curriculum and you know, we can't even agree on basic fundamental truths in this country, how are we going to agree on personal finance? And then he said, kids don't care about learning about money. So I want to address those points. <laughs> First of all, I think he was wrong on all accounts. Oh, I, I told him, I said, you're wrong. I'm going to get you on the on wrong side. Every right single side reason that he gave, I was like, dude, you're way wrong, off on dude. Right. And love or meet. But I, t- I told him, I was like, I got to bring you over to the to our side. You got to be on the right side of the fight. So, all right, let's address them each one. Who's going to teach it? First of all, he said overburdened high school teachers are going to teach it. I can tell you right now through my work at NGPF, it is a free nonprofit organization. So free curriculum, free teacher training. There's over 70,000, close to 80,000 teachers across the country who are accessing the free materials. So this is not curriculum that's created 
created by a bank the way he mentions where it's like pushing the the bank branding on or logo on uh, materials this is all free not for profit it is all literally like 21st century up-to-date online materials and we have over 80,000 teachers or close to 80,000 teachers who've created an account so that they can access the materials for free um, what will they take away what will students take away there are national personal finance standards for financial literacy education created by jumpstart as well as the council for economic education states can either choose to adopt those standards and teach those topics or they could create their own state specific standards for financial literacy education and use their own state specific standards that's up to the state because in education it's very much local control Control in our country. This is not a federal issue that the president can just wave a magic wand and say everyone has is required to now learn personal finance in high school. It's a state by state local issue. So every state has to dictate what it looks like and how that happens. Um, how are they going to get trained? We offer free teacher training at NGPF. Again, <laughs> not for profit. So it's not we're not pushing anything. There's absolutely no agenda. Um, the co-founders created an endowment fund. One of our co-founders, Tim Renzetta, created an endowment fund after having a lot of success as an entrepreneur. He decided this is going to be the thing that he wants to champion. This is where he wants to make change and leave a legacy. And so he created an endowment fund with tens of millions of dollars so that we would never run out of money and be able to continue to provide teachers with free high quality training and free curriculum materials as well as advocacy resources. And this is how I'm able to do my job. And this is how so many teachers are able to teach with confidence topics like investing, topics like budgeting, like banking, like, you know, the things that are developing that they never knew about, like buy now, pay later or cryptocurrency. We're yeah. at the front forefront, the front lines like teaching these teachers the cutting edge information so that they're ready to teach it and, and pass it on to their students um, so no banks and all that kind of stuff the thing he said about uh, disagreeing on basic fundamental truths in this country is actually not a lie that's true there's a lot of divisiveness and depending you know money is political and there are a lot of people that disagree with you know the issues in personal finance the reason why that doesn't really affect this though is because I have literally went I've gone from Florida where we passed um, SB 1054 in 2021. The law was successfully passed in Florida, later passed in Georgia, then went up to Michigan, was passed in Michigan, and also passed in um, Connecticut. Yeah, Connecticut recently, yeah. Yeah, so since Florida, since my work in Florida, it's gone Iowa, Georgia, Michigan, Kansas, New Hampshire, West Virginia, Indiana, Minnesota, and the most recent being in May of 2023, Connecticut, with Louisiana following shortly after in I want to say early June 2023. So what we're looking at is this momentum and this wave of regardless if that state is considered a red state or a blue state or who the sponsors who championed it are or if the governor is a Democratic governor or a Republican governor. When we look at Florida and Michigan, two states with governors that couldn't be more opposite, both <laughs> of those states signed the exact same financial literacy legislation. Yeah. So when yeah. you say, oh, we can't agree, we can agree that personal finance is a fundamental uh, you know, skill set that every student needs and deserves. And, and it's true that money has political elements, but it's also true that a ton of personal finance can and should be and should remain apolitical. Absolutely. And unbiased. 100% agree. And when it comes to the, the education that's taking place in, in high schools, we actually, it reminds me of one of our earliest interviews. We talked with this guy, Dan LaSalle. He was a vice president. I love Dan. Uh, I'm actually the Dan? president Dan? of his oh, board nice. for Niche oh, Clinic. Yes. I mean, Dan is one of our, our, the favorite, our favorite guests we've ever had because he took this outside of the box approach to teaching kids and, and, and actually finding ways to, to attach work to income and then, yes. and then putting money in these kids' hands so that they could actually not just learn the principles, but then put them into action and so it's practical uh, yep. i feel like Absolutely. people like you and dan are on the front lines of this of this fight and we we support you all the way and anybody who <laughs> says that personal finance education in school is a waste of time doesn't know what they're talking not about. Not only do so. they not know what they're talking about, but they haven't been inside of a school recently. I can tell you yes. that because if oh, I, yeah. I go into these schools consistently and frequently for my work and the students light up. When when I hear people say kids don't care about learning personal finance until it's relevant to them, I'm like, do you know what it's like to be 16 yeah. years old and get your driver's license and actually be looking for a car loan and uh, comparing car loan car uh, insurance rates? Do you know mm -hmm. what it's like to be 17 and want to open your first custodial Roth IRA because you just got your first job and you're excited and you want to learn about this and not have any adult in your life or class in school teaching you about these things. It's you, practical it, and life-changing. And it's applicable immediately when you are a junior or senior in high school. So yeah. if you're about to fill out your FAFSA form and, and you're learning it and then you go do it right away, how can something be more applicable and more immediately beneficial than that? So I just think when people talk about these things, it's usually the people who are the furthest away from the actual classrooms who are the least qualified to talk about this that are the loudest. <laughs> yeah, no, you're so true. Spot yeah. on. And well, 
there's a whole lot of other things that we forget <laughs> that we learned in high school. And this is one of those things that uh, is, you're going to remember. You're yes. going to remember a bunch. <laughs> and even even if you don't put it in action right away, you're going to be like years later. You're like, wait a second. I heard like compound. Oh, yeah. OK, yep, that's that. Let thing. me go yeah. look that it's up. Gonna, yes, that's right. Yeah, you're going to hear one other thing. It's going to trigger something. And there's a brain. big difference between learning these things at third and fourth grade versus like what you're saying in yeah. high school when it's immediately applicable. Uh, and, and that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. I don't know of any teenager who's entering adulthood who isn't concerned at all about money. It's right. something that they want more of. And so teaching them how to handle it properly, I that's think, right. needs to happen. Yanelli, we are so glad that you that this is a, a charge, a, a movement that you're leading. Uh, where... Got 30 more states to go. Yes, <laughs> yes we're so yeah. close. But, but, <laughs> so but far, your but book, so close. your book, Mind Your Money, that's a part of this as well for, for anybody who just wants to learn more and who isn't getting this kind of information at their school. Right. Uh, where can folks learn more about you and, and find your book? Yeah, so if you want to follow along with me on social media, it's at Miss Be Helpful. That's anywhere, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Miss Be Helpful, M-I-S-S-B-E, Helpful. And then for all things related to my book um, a chapter list details about it buying it mindyourmoneybook.com awesome Yanelli thanks so much for joining us we really appreciate it thank you guys this is great alright Matt you gotta love you gotta love Yanelli so SNL. good just, such a good conversation what an interesting story what a but and, and just someone who who puts their money where their mouth is <laughs> like she is she is living the life and, and putting into action all the things she believes on a big scale. Mm-hmm. So I uh, love what she's up to. What was your big takeaway from this conversation? Uh, she, she shared a lot about her own personal story, right? And what I loved was when she was talking about specifically how to get family or friends on board. And she was essentially, she was she said, like, don't tell them about it necessarily, but show them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was talking about how you kind of start with the heart. You share a story with them. Essentially, what I, I was gathering from that was that she, what, what, what it's important to do is to be vulnerable. Um, and I think when you are able to do that, you're able to kind of maybe tear down any defenses that there might be with whoever it is that you're trying to talk about money with. Uh, so yeah, that's my quick takeaway. Be vulnerable if you're trying to talk to others about personal finances. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and how about you? she also said, find, find new friends. Don't ditch your old ones, but find some <laughs> new ones if you need some uh, some other like advice and encouragement. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the, great. the silver lining to yeah. social media, which there's not a whole lot of bright sides right. to social and media, you don't but wanna, that de- totally is one. And you don't want to cancel people in your life, whether they have different political views, different money views, whatever it is, for any reason. But yeah, you also might need to find people who are supportive of you in this new endeavor if you're trying to get your money together too. Mm-hmm. One of the things she said at one point, she, Matt, uh, she said, every dollar had a job when she was talking about her budget and she was talking about the resolve to ensure that like she didn't put any purchases on that credit card while she was paying it off and i think uh that mental fortitude is a huge part yeah of Mm -hmm. actually being able to get the job done and and getting straight with your money getting digging yourself out of the hole so you can start to kind of build the mountain to move forward and so yeah i love that she had that like that fortitude to say not even a 12 dollar charge goes on this credit card i'm gonna do without and I think that's it. for people who are in a hole right now. It, it's we're, we're not all a deprivation mentality. That's not that's not our jam. But for some people at certain uh, places in their personal finance journey, deprivation is necessary, right? In order to, for a time, be able to juice your ability to make progress. Mm-hmm. That's what you Nelly did. And now, guess what? If she wants to, she can go get that massage every oh, yeah. single week if she wants, <laughs> which is right. great because she's made so much progress. So I think it's yeah. just important for people to hear. It's like, it doesn't have to be all deprivation all the time, but sometimes for a period, it's going to take a little more of that intentional effort and a little bit of saying no to yourself, the things that you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and DIYing it, figuring out a way to get around it. Be creative. There there are still ways that you can do it. Yeah, it's not just about the dollars and cents and the money that she was able to save, but it's also just a mindset thing and how she was able to prove to herself, not only to to herself, but also to her family that like, no, 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 I'm not playing. Like this is something that I'm going to get after. And it takes sometimes a principled stand like that in order to move the needle. But uh, Joel, let's talk about the beer you and I enjoyed during this episode. This was a code breaker, a West Coast IPA by Trademark Brewing. What were your thoughts on this one, buddy? never had anything by this brewery before yeah i thought it was really good yeah it's uh west coast ipas are not typically my fave but i really like this one it, it was I'm, like i'm with you maybe somewhat dank it uh-huh. was but it wasn't as bitter it wasn't it's as a like, little more juicy perhaps yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah the it was uh, a good middle of the road west coast not too hard in that direction 
Yeah. So we've been drinking a lot of East Coast uh, New England hazies. And one of the great things about West Coast IPAs, you don't have to worry about the sediment. You know? yeah, that's true. <laughs> you and I, actually, this wasn't even on the show. This You and Emily, uh, the family came over and we're, we're enjoying a beer. And it had a decent amount of sediment. And so, what, you know, I was kind of swirling the can up. So that way we both, because a lot of times it's that hop uh, bite that, that you find in that sediment. It's like hop... Um, bits it's i don't know like eating a little bit of a pepper like a yeah. hot pepper you know <laughs> and you so, just get that concentrated so swirling it making sure that you and i both have the this equal amounts of sediment because that's flavor but you ain't gotta worry about that when it comes to a west coast ipa yep. you, you pour it perfectly clear delicious refreshing this one specifically had some stone fruit i see uh which i feel like definitely stood out as we were enjoying it but yeah glad you and i got to enjoy a trademark beer but joel that's going to be it for this episode we'll make sure to link to some of the different resources we talked about and specifically where you can learn more about yanelli find her book and if you're a teacher uh you can link oh to, yeah we'll link to some of those next gen personal finance mm-hmm. resources they are at the forefront of encouraging and promoting uh, financial literacy in schools and you might be able to partner with Yellen Yanelli to bring uh, financial education to your state. Yeah. If you're a teacher, you can like advocate for that, which is cool. Yeah. So there is real momentum behind what mm-hmm. it is that they're doing. But uh, buddy, that's going to be it for this episode. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.